Good morning, friends. Good to be with you. The New Testament reading this morning is a very, very familiar text, and I invite you to listen to it this morning to see if the Spirit might move in it differently than it has before. Reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out a visa, gave it to the innkeeper, <laughs> and said, take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God speaking in our own hearts, thanks be to God. Will you all pray with me, please? Creator of all that is and all that has been and all that will be, we're showing up this morning with our whole lives in tow. So many things to navigate. Show yourself to us this morning. Remind us of your presence. Lift us up and strengthen us so that we may do the work of your love in the world. Amen. I drove down here on Friday from Western North Carolina where I live in the mountains up there near Asheville. And on the way down, I, I was looking at a lot of bumper stickers on cars and RVs and trucks. And one of them that I kept seeing on the big RVs was the Good Sam sticker. Have you seen that one? There's a, there's a sticker, it's a travel club, the Good Sam Club. It's, it's, you know, folks you can call if you get in trouble on the road and they come help you out like AAA, I think. This story is so familiar that it's familiar far beyond the walls of churches, right? People know the Good Samaritan story more or less in the culture writ large. It's a very familiar story. But I have to tell you that I understand this story completely differently than I did as a young man. It has changed its meaning quite drastically over the years. And I want to share that with you, how this has changed for me, and see if it resonates for you and it, and it rings of truth. So... The Good Samaritan story is told 
in response to a clarifying question from a lawyer. This is what lawyers do. They ask clarifying questions to make things very clear, right? So I'm going to skip the opportunity to pick on lawyers. This was a reasonable question. He said, what exactly do you mean by neighbor? I sometimes wish he had asked the other obvious question. When Jesus says, love your neighbor, the other obvious question would have been, what do you mean by love? Would have loved to have heard that answer, but perhaps the entire New Testament is the answer to that question. So I want to just name three things I didn't get about this story, at least three things I didn't get about this story as a child. One of them is that we call this the Good Samaritan story, and it didn't occur to me until really only a few years ago that the word good never shows up in the story. It's not a part of it at all. It was added later as a little section divider, right? It's, it says that in our text, but it's not in the original Bible. We call it the Good Samaritan story. And I want to think about that because I think it's important to think about how we define the word good. And people in faith communities define that word quite differently. My mother tells me that the faith community she grew up in said, really taught her through word and deed that the way to be a good Christian is that you don't sing, you don't dance, you don't play cards, you don't gamble, you don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't steal. And if you don't do any of those things, you're a good Christian. It's about what you don't do. That's not really the theology of this faith community. And I really think Jesus was asking us so much more than that. He was asking us to do. <laughs> what are you doing? How are we loving each other in the world? So when you tell a child, be good, it has become clear to me over the years, partly through a story a friend told me, that very often what you mean is don't be bad, right? How different would it be if we were saying to our children very clearly, hey, go be good in the world because the world needs your goodness. Go shine your light. Go love hard because your love is needed. But that's not what we mean. We mean don't be bad. So I wonder if we should call the story the compassionate Samaritan. It seems like that would work a little better for me. So that's the first thing that I didn't get. Good isn't, is really kind of beside the point. Second thing I didn't get was how much the Hebrew people, Jesus's audience, hated Samaritans. I might have heard something from a Sunday school teacher somewhere along the line that Samaritans and Hebrews kind of didn't get along. But I want to read you a little bit of a text from a, from a seminary text. Uh, I haven't been to seminary, but my friends tell me that they studied this text. It's called Introducing the New Testament, a Historical, Literary, and Theological Survey. Chapter 1 by Mark Powell. Chapter 1, The People of Palestine at the Time of Jesus. Here's just a couple paragraphs. Samaritans and Jews were both descended from Jacob, but after the death of Solomon, tensions arose between the north and south, and the kingdom split in two. Civil war. This is the context. The Samaritans claimed that they were the true Israel who were the descendants of the ten lost tribes taken into Assyrian captivity. They had their own temple, 
on Mount Gerizim and claimed that it was the original sanctuary. Moreover, they claimed that their version of the Pentateuch, the original Bible, main five books there, was the original and that the Jews had a falsified text produced by Ezra during the Babylonian exile. The term kuthim, applied by Jews to the Samaritans, had clear pejorative connotations. It was an insult, implying that they were interlopers brought in from Kutha in Mesopotamia and rejecting their claim of descent from the ancient tribes of Israel. So get this, y'all. Let me put this in simpler language. Your temple is fake. Your Bible is fake. Your faith is fake. Your news is fake. You are fake. You are not who you claim to be. The first century historian Josephus wrote about numerous violent confrontations between the two groups, and both Jewish and Samaritan religious leaders taught that it was wrong to have any contact with the opposite group. They were not allowed to enter each other's territories or even speak to each other. This, by the way, is the perfect recipe for bigotry. Let the other be seen sometimes at a distance, but never up close. Widely share a story about who they are and allow no possibility of rehumanization through direct contact. It worked. They hated each other. Third thing I didn't get, the significance of the nakedness of the man in the ditch, which allowed us to giggle in Sunday school. But beyond that, had real significance, which is that the man in the ditch was stripped of all of his cultural markers. The Levite and the priest wore particular clothes that showed that they were important people, right? Kind of like a tie, right? They showed that they were important, respectable folks. Levites, by the way, were the people entrusted with the care of the Ark of the Covenant. They were very well-respected leaders with a lot of privilege and a lot of power in society. But the guy in the ditch had been beaten and was wearing no clothes. And you didn't know, is he in, is he out, is he important, is he outcast? So many of the cultural markers were stripped away. So to me, that says that this is really a story about how we are supposed to treat anybody, right? Because this could be anybody in the ditch. The main thing I failed to understand for a lot of years about this story, I thought this was a story about being kind to people when they're in trouble, to going out of your way, to be compassionate, to be a little bit vulnerable in order to help somebody who needs help. If that were the point of the story, that would be a good lesson, right? That's worth teaching. It's okay that we teach kids that version of this story because that's a good thing to understand. But if that were the point of the story, the Samaritan would be the guy in the ditch. And the Samaritan is not the guy in the ditch. He's the hero of the story. Jesus was a master storyteller, and he understood that when you tell people a story, we tend to look out through the eyes of the protagonist, the main person in the story, in this case, the Samaritan. Jesus is asking us 
and his listeners, his Hebrew listeners at that time, to look out through the eyes of the person they hated more than anyone else Jesus could think of and hold that person up as the hero. Oh my goodness. So I've come to believe that this is not a story about how us is supposed to treat them. This is a story that deconstructs and tears down the entire notion of us and them. As children of God, we are an us. As a church, you are an us. And you know how this works, right? Conflict within us is a different thing between conflict between us and them. It's a different thing. When we claim each other, we approach that conflict with an urgency and a sensitivity and a compassion and an empathy that we may not apply if it's us and them. But I think Jesus was trying to communicate to us that there's no such thing as them. I know, that's hard news. It asks a lot of us, right? It does. It asks a lot of us. I get to spend time in churches pretty often. I get invited to come do things like this, and I'm honored by that invitation. Um, people's time and attention, let's face it, that's among the most valuable things you have. But I often walk into churches, and people will say, you know, we're just, we're just a big family here. And I'll say, oh, yeah, good, okay. So who doesn't talk to whom? Right? I mean... I know about families. I've got one of those, <laughs> right? It's, I, I love my family and it's the richest part of my life. And it's also some of the hardest part of my life. Family is hard. And being family doesn't mean that we're always happy and peaceful. Being family means that we're always connected. That we exist in community with each other. Pam reminded me this morning of the, the word uh, Ubuntu that, uh, that uh, uh, not Nelson Mandela, but Desmond Tutu constantly referred to, thank you, Bart. Um, Desmond Tutu constantly referred to, which means I am because we are. It's a powerful piece of wisdom in just one little word. So this is what we are called to be, friends. The family that is connected by being children of God. Jesus lived in a time of division and antipathy, not so different from our own. And he had clear lessons for us about how we're supposed to approach that. Among the many ways the era we're living in now could be described, and there are many, one is that there is a crisis of trust. And there is only one way to rebuild that trust. The work of loving each other is not a naive Pollyanna pipe dream. It is our most pragmatic strategy. More importantly, it is the main thing Jesus told us to pay attention to. The great commandment is called the great commandment because they asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he answered the question. Love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength, and with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. My friend Lee Hinson Hasty is a Presbyterian theologian. He taught me something very valuable about the difference between law and statute. 
So the law is love God, love each other. Statutes are the rules we come up with to interpret the law. But sometimes we get the rules wrong. Jesus was constantly breaking the rules in order to fulfill the law. The Levite and the priest were paying close attention to the statutes. If they had touched the man in the ditch, they would have lost all of their power and prestige, and they would have lost their positions within society and their sense of who they are. So they weren't going to take that chance. But the Samaritan was asking, what does love require in this moment? I'm going to break all the rules. I don't know if this is a Hebrew or a Samaritan in the ditch, but this is a person that's hurting and I need to help. That's the result of taking seriously the teachings of Jesus in the great commandment. This whole Good Samaritan story, you remember, is in response to a clarifying question about the great commandment, to love God and love each other. The question is, who is our neighbor? And in response to that question, Jesus gave the most extreme and expansive and inclusive answer that he could possibly come up with. In the Matthew version of the Great Commandment passage, Jesus follows the exhortation to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves with the amazing words, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two. Everything you do, everything you hear, everything you believe, all that you know must be examined through the lens of love. Friends, this is the good news. This circle... God's circle, Christ's circle, holds us all. The wholeness of God's creation is not the illusion. The separation within it is the illusion. We are all welcome. We are called to love and welcome each other. As challenging as that can be sometimes to go out of our way, to care for, to love, to defend and protect each other, and together to heal. I can only leave you with the words that Jesus left us with. Go and do likewise. Mm 